This is a CNA podcast. Doors are closing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Work It. I'm Adrian. And I'm Crispina. When we mention mental health and workplace, most people will think burnout from work or stressful situations like working on a big presentation. One of our earliest episodes was on burnout and it was quite a popular one among our listeners. Today though, we are talking about something a little bit different. How do people who are struggling with mental health issues continue to stay productive, give their best at work and most importantly, how are they supported in their journey? We all have different experiences when it comes to mental health. I personally went through quite a dark period in my own life. When I was running my own business, I was facing some financial issue, operations issue at work. And I remember it really hit the pinnacle when I suddenly just burst into tears in front of my office manager. And that was quite trying because at the same time, we we're still trying to salvage the situation as well. So I can imagine how hard it would be for people going through this phase of life. You must have heard the statistics by now, right? The numbers have been increasing. Those who are offering these services, your psychologists, your counsellors, including the school ones, are busier than ever. And over the last two years since COVID hit, workplaces are also scrambling to find answers as how to deal with their staff having mental health issues. Our guest today is the CEO and co-founder of Calm Collective Asia, Sabrina Wee. Sabrina has been open about her story, struggling with bipolar disorder since her 20s and hitting very bad lows in suicide ideation. So she's here to talk us through this, how her own story gave her fuel for her current work, the everyday challenges of an employee living with mental health, and the broader issues of policy and practice. Welcome, Sabrina. Thank you so much for having me on this show. I'm excited to share and also learn from you. Perhaps that is where we can start off from by giving us a brief intro about yourself. You've been quite open about your story. How did it all came into the realization that you actually have a problem on hand? My personal story is that when I was growing up as a teen, as well as in my early 20s, I actually experienced several depressive episodes. So this looked like get out of bed, struggling with self-doubt when I was faced with a task at work. Even the simplest of tasks, like writing an email, was really difficult. I knew that there's something wrong, but I struggled to find the help that I needed for it in terms of getting help from a professional. I did reach out to my parents for help, to my support circle. But the thing is, nobody knew what to do. And Mm. what I received in terms of advice was, Sabrina, don't worry, you can just sleep it off. Tomorrow will be a new day. When I was trying to seek professional help, folks will be telling me that, are you sure you need to go see a professional? You're not crazy. You seem okay, Mm. at least on the surface. So I think through that struggle, it actually spiraled into a point where I hit my lowest low, which was suicidal ideation, to a point where I actually got arrested for attempted suicide. Mm, This was was before they changed the law. Exactly. This was in 2016. And then thankfully, they've changed the law already. Through my own personal struggle and also journey of figuring out how to recover, both in my personal life and at work, I've learned so much. And I think with Calm Collective, this is what I'm trying to change, change the mindset 
stats and also the actions of both the individuals and employers. We've done so many stories. CNA has done an excellent job talking to different stakeholders. One of the things that always comes up is when you are struggling, people closest to you have no clue what to do. Mm -hmm. And do you feel that that has changed over the years? Is it better now? A recent study showed that one in three Singaporeans would not know what to do if someone came to them and said, hey, I'm suicidal. In my personal experience, both friends and family were really at a loss when I came to them with my issues or with my challenges. Predominantly, it's still quite the same, although there's a lot more curiosity around mental health. Mm. But the reality is that We don't have the skills or we don't have the knowledge as to how to actually help someone when somebody presents their problems to us. And so that's kind of where it starts spiraling, right? It becomes worse, obviously. Yeah, because the individual has to just hold their struggles alone by themselves. I don't know, Adrian, if you felt that way when you were entrepreneuring. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I definitely did not have the support system. My wife is one of those super optimistic people. Everything is like, ah, just sleep over it. Things will be okay. She's the kind, if you tell her that you're sad, she'll just ask you to be happy. That kind of just walk it off mentality, (laughs) which honestly doesn't help because I just Mm. feel this huge weight in my chest that I just cannot get off. And of course, in my attempt to find a solution, it was quite trying because you don't really know where to start. And I'd be very interested to learn from your own journey. As you mentioned earlier on, you also did not know where to start, who to turn to. What are some of the things that actually did not work out well for you? I'm very certain in your own ways to try to DIY and diagnose this problem. You probably have gone through some ways that did not work at all. I googled, (laughs) I asked friends, I called various hotlines. Adrian, when you mentioned, I guess, your wife's example, people telling you to like, I just be happy, focus on the good stuff. You have Mm. all these other things going for you. As much as it seems to be helpful to the person who's sharing that advice, it's very invalidating for the person who's receiving that phrase or that kind of advice. So what we're trying to do at Calm Collective is actually to change individual behavior. One of the things that we do is that in order to show support to someone, when someone comes to you with their challenges, struggles, it's really about first being able to validate that their problems are real. And one of the ways to do that is not by silver lining it or by throwing out advice, but Mm. just simply by holding space for them and listening to them. For example, if someone came to me to say, hey, I'm really struggling, I can't sleep, I have this horrible weight on my chest, I keep crying, what should I say? Mm, In that scenario, what we tend to teach folks is that the way to handle such cases is to ask open-ended questions Mm. that are non-judgmental in nature. So a simple tip is for you to ask what and how questions and not why. Because uh. why can actually kind of pass off judgment in a way. So what I might say to that would be, oh, what's troubling you? Mm. How can I help? Something like that. As right, opposed to, right. why do you feel like that? Why are you so tired? Why are you stressed out? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why don't you just stop crying? Why don't, why, why don't <laughs> you just stop crying? By the way, you know? something my husband told me after I had postpartum depression, he's like, mm. just don't cry lah. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I never thought about that. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. A lot of the time we say these things because it actually makes us feel uncomfortable when someone comes forward yes, to us with yeah. that. So the point I'm trying to make is that it's not to demonize the people we go to for help too, right? Not at all. To also understand that they too are like, 
what's going They're on? They're at a loss. I, they don't know what I, to do. Yeah. yeah, it's not that they don't love you, Adrian. FYI, <laughs> it's for them not to feel like oh, okay, they're always doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. To be able to support someone in that situation is not easy. It does take up a lot of emotional energy. And besides being able to hold space, I think what's actually really important in that scenario is that if you're supporting someone, you need to be able to regulate your own emotions. You need to be stable yourself or at least project that stability. And that actually takes up quite a lot of emotional work as well. So you have to be calm and collected in order to hold space for someone else who's going through those struggles. And another question that we get very often is, what if I just cannot take care of that person right now? There's also this whole concept of caregiver burden, burnout. And I think it's really important for us to also be aware of how we're feeling before we take care of someone else. So obviously, there's a wide range of people living with such mental health issues. I can range from anxieties to clinical depression. The key thing here is how do you then try to reconcile with it, live with it, and importantly, to continue your day-to-day in Mm. spite of having this condition? Yeah, because people Mm. have to show up for work, they have to show up for school. These are the things that you can't run away from, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of talk these days around getting help from professionals or the managers have the burden or the responsibility of ensuring that the individual feels completely comfortable and supported at work. By the same time, for the individual, you also have the ability to create the support systems required to help you get through your own day-to-day. So there's certain things like practicing self-care and also creating those support systems, whether at work or in the home, to help you manage your well-being. Mm. Personally, what I do is that I have my own mental health guide for myself, where I'm very clear about what I can do if my energy Mm. is low, if I'm mildly or moderately anxious or depressed, what can I do in order to get myself feeling better before it's too late. So in other words, you have to take control and come out front. That means be very conscious about your own moods and how you're feeling. A lot of it boils down to awareness. So if you're not even aware of how you're feeling, you can't take any action right. or around it. Or if you it. power through it, line, that's also bad, right? If you power through it, then that's the one road to burnout, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah powering through... Um, I guess, stressful times. I think that's what we tend to do. And there's this whole idea of hustle culture as well. And society also celebrates these kind of behaviours, which are actually not very healthy for us. But I think it's really on us to be able to take a pause and take a step back and corporate breaks Mm. throughout the day that will actually help us to maintain our own well-being. Hi, my name is Steve Lai. And I'm Teresa Tang. And we are the hosts of the new podcast, CNA Correspondent. From New York to Bangkok, join us as we kick back and chat with our colleagues across the globe about the latest news developments. Look out for our weekly episodes wherever you get your podcasts. So we go into this second part, what I call to tell or not to tell in the workplace. Okay. (laughs) My thinking is that Half the time, I don't know if somebody is suffering from a mental health illness at work. Mm. If I was suffering from, say, depression, I'm not Mm going to go up to my boss and say, hey, guess what? I was clinically depressed or I've been diagnosed. I don't know. So that's that, right? Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is you're so worried of the reaction. How do you navigate this Mm. in a workplace setting? You see, in a family, it's different. You can be open. You can be brutally honest. 
It's still family, mm-hmm. ma. They are not going to kick you out of the house, right? Yeah, I guess there are less implications. You're yes. not going to lose your job, your livelihood. Yeah. So it's quite different. The stakes are higher when you're in the workplace because there's so much that work brings to your life, right? I guess especially if your job requires you to be client-facing, mm-hmm. yeah. that you need to yeah. be happy all the time or be pleasant all the time, that would be really challenging. It is hard. So I have been in that situation before because I have bipolar disorder. It means that I have to go for therapy and see my psychiatrist pretty regularly, like once a month. For the first year of my job, I did not tell my boss at all about the condition because I was like, okay, I'm just going to manage this myself. Mm -hmm. If I don't have to tell him, I will not. But it came to a point where I was actually struggling a little bit. My depressive episode had kind of acted up again after my grandfather passed away. It came to a point where I was really struggling and I was trying to take it upon myself for a couple of weeks before I finally went to my psychiatrist and said, hey, doc, I don't think I'm doing well. I need to get on antidepressants again, but I'm also not performing at work. What should I do? Then at that point, my doctor said, okay, Sabrina, why don't you just take two weeks off work? That will help you reset yourself. Mm. But I was like super overcome by fear because you mean I'm going to have to tell my boss that I take two two weeks weeks off and why? (laughs) So I was like, okay, okay, let's try because now I have a doctor's letter. No choice, right? It's the same thing as if you break your leg, you have to go for surgery. Two weeks off is like totally acceptable. Correct. But when I shared it with my boss, he was like, Sabrina, depression? What? You can handle this yourself. It's not so difficult, this work thing. Mm. You're an adult. You need to decide for yourself whether it's worth taking the two weeks off because there will be implications on your work. And then I was like, wow, okay. So the stigma and I guess misunderstanding is real. Yeah. You see, even if he was understanding and he said, yeah, yeah, sure, take whatever time you need. But I'm sure in his mind, he's calculating, oh, should I be careful with Sabrina from now on? Yeah. Should I not give her stressful things? Oh, for sure. So that was like the fear. But interestingly, a week and a half in, I checked in with him again. I was feeling better and... He kind of came around and he admitted to me that, you know, I was actually very pissed off initially when I heard that because taking some time off for your mental health doesn't make sense to me. But he also said that I'm also here to help you make this work and I want to find out how I can help you feel better as you adapt back into your regular day job. So in the end, he actually became a lot more understanding and that was quite interesting for me. I mean, it was a good turn of events. At the end of the day, it's really about having both ourselves and if you're a manager or whatnot just being a lot more curious and open-minded rather than jumping into judgment Mm -hmm. and asking how you can actually support the other person better and once you have that conversation going the person feels a lot more safe to actually share and be part of the solution as well yeah i guess it's also better to be honest and well in a way Mm -hmm. to test out the water right it actually in your case although there was a one week of ah yeah i shouldn't have said those stuff but it actually turned out to be better (laughs) instead of just holding it close to your chest and try to navigate within this territory on your own and in fact for all you know if of course your boss might not have been receptive a total nutcase about this whole thing then you could just know it's not the place for you also actually (laughs) yeah i just feel that it's so deeply embedded in our psyche especially when it comes to work Mm -hmm. we find it so hard i would find it hard to say you know what I'm just exhausted today. I don't feel like working. I need to take it slow, etc. I feel like even some young people, they are so good at what they do. Mm-hmm. They tend to suppress their feelings of anxiety. suppress or repress it, yeah. Right, we suppress or repress stuff. 
I know it's easy to say, let's be honest. Mm. Just be honest. But I think that it's hard. No, it really is. In the culture that we're in, in Asia and Singapore, we're not often asked, how are you feeling? And when you are asked that kind of question, you're like, I'm okay. Okay yeah. lah. <laughs> and normally we tend to share how we think or we might be sharing what we're doing rather than how we're actually feeling. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the heart of it is that we don't know how to express how we're feeling. And if we're not aware of our feelings, we're not even going to be aware of what to do next. As part of your work now, you consult with companies. Give us a sense of what changes in terms of policies there are, in terms of mental health wellness policies. I know my company has made quite a concerted effort. For example, all of us can take two mental health days. It's part of our medical leave, but we don't need to go to a doctor. We can just say, I'm taking a day off, etc. Mm -hmm. That's a start. Is that very basic though? Is there more that you think companies can do? There are a few ways to go about it when it comes to creating a more mental health-friendly work culture. Okay. So we look at it from the perspective of policies. We also look at what kind of infrastructure or resources you can introduce. Mm. So we also see a lot of companies reviewing their employee assistance programs, mm. whether they're going to give some free counselling, therapy, even coaching as well. And the final piece that we're seeing, which is actually the hardest to do, is to really shift the culture within their people. We often get asked, especially by SMEs, okay, paying for counselling therapy is so expensive, what can we do for free? It's not cheap to go for therapy in Singapore. Yeah. Of course, the public healthcare system is a lot cheaper. Yeah. But what we found, at least for Calm Collective and as an SME ourselves, a lot of things can actually be done within the culture mm. in terms of promoting psychological safety for your people. There are some things that you can do simply by doing those regular check-ins with people, asking them how they truly feel and not judging them for it. Mm. I know that companies are getting up to speed to provide options for staff. If you get sick, mm. if you have a flu, fever, whatever, you can go and see your company, doctor, etc. And it's paid for. The insurance covers that. In my mind, Cost is still an issue wrapped up in this whole thing about I'm not sure how mental health comes into the picture. If you cut your finger, it's very clear. Mm. Okay, this person needs time off, this person needs medical care and we will subsidise that cost. But telling my boss, okay, I need to go for counselling, can I get some subsidy or can I claim on my insurance? Mm. That's a new conversation, something we haven't confronted before. But there may be free resources, there may be people who can be trained within the organisation without having to go to the professionals all the time. What do you think? Yeah, no, definitely. So I, I think what companies are starting to do is really to look at mental health support through a stepped care approach. So there are going to be people who are optimizing for mental wellness, where yeah. they are at the top of their game, they're thriving, flourishing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there may be folks who are in the middle who are dealing with day-to-day -day stress, which may not warrant an actual diagnosis. Yep. They're dealing yep. with something that's stressful in their lives, like a breakup, or yes. they didn't get the promotion, yeah. things like that. It can be quite right. stressful to them. And then, of course, at the other end of the spectrum, there's folks who would be clinically diagnosed and actually need that professional help. Yeah. So yeah. I guess what companies actually need to do is take a step back and look at all the different segments mm. in which they can support 
their employees. What we're seeing companies do is that they're realizing that they can actually empower their managers as well as their peers within the company to provide that first line Uh, support. I see. So what they're doing is that they're training their managers, they're creating Mm -hmm. mental health ambassador programs, and that's where we also get involved. So there are lots of basic skills that people can learn Mm. from emotional regulation. You have to take care of yourself first to Mm. basic listening, counseling skills so that you can provide that support in a way that is relatively low touch but still high impact. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the ways that companies are doing it. But Mm. of course, for folks who really need professional support, we are also seeing a lot more companies investing more resources or they're changing their providers, reviewing how they want to approach this yeah. support Or even as well. reviewing coverage when it comes yeah. to insurance. Insurance, yeah. yeah. There's a lot more providers coming up these days through telehealth as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So one of our guests on the podcast also introduced a term to us which is called the say-do-gap. Mm. So basically, there shouldn't be a gap between what you say on the policy side and what you do in practice. So when it comes to what you're seeing in companies, what are some of the things mm. that has this obvious gap that you can identify? Or are there some of the patronizing oh, practices the that they're gap. putting it So many. There? Oh. I mean, I, I, I don't want to offend anyone by yeah. saying this, but I think the reality is that mental health has been talked about a lot and mm. employees are demanding more understanding at least around mental health within the workplace setting. So we are seeing leaders come up and saying that, okay, we are going to do something about mental health. If it's not like the senior executives, it might be maybe at the HR level. But the reality is oftentimes there's still a lot of misconceptions around what mental health really is. Mm. So what we're seeing even till today is that Companies are still doing their very first mental health talk, bringing in leadership to be a part of it. We're still in the very nascent stages of actually turning that conversation into action. I see a lot of virtue signaling, like, yes, mental health is important. We want to do something about Mm -hmm. it. But ultimately, it requires a big shift in mentality and in culture. Mm -hmm. So the people themselves need to increase their mental health literacy They need to understand what mental health really is. They need to understand what they can do through their actions to actually provide that psychological safety that people need and that will actually help them be also more productive and happier at work. Yeah, I suppose at the back of their mind, they're always worried about are they pulling this mental health card? Because once they do, then, you know... <laughs> because you, you cannot see, I mean? right? It is so exactly. invisible. It's like what you said earlier on, if you cut your finger, mm-hmm. I can see, oh, your finger recovered. But when it comes to mental health, it's just so hidden, yeah. so underneath that people can't see. And because of that, they cannot assess. Yeah. What's interesting is that employers, in their engagement surveys, they are starting to introduce the idea of psychological safety as well mm. as mental health at work. We are seeing more folks coming to us and asking how they can phrase their questions within their employee engagement uh-huh. surveys to see That's how they're doing. That's another skill. That's a whole other That's thing. That's a whole other um, skill, right? Yeah. We've just recently run a survey with Milieu Insight. So that's oh. our partner for our surveys. And we found that more than 50% of respondents, at least in Singapore, felt that they didn't feel comfortable bringing up their struggles to their managers. Oh. So these are the things that companies are starting to do. They're trying to figure out, okay, where are we right now? And then they're trying to figure out what they can do about it. Hi, my name is Sarah Alcaldi and I'm the host of a new podcast called Money Talks. 
Yes, we will be talking about money, but more than that, we'll also be talking about life, personal choices, lucky breaks, and how money is the thread running through it all. So look out for our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. If you could suggest one thing a workplace can implement easily to help one people like, deal so with mental health. Okay. What would it be? Actually, there's the exact same question I wanted to ask. Oh, see? Yeah. And yeah. I actually also thought of a possible suggestion, which is like a company maybe can call out and let people know that today is mental health mm-hmm. week or day or whatever mm-hmm. and let people know that it is actually safe to bring up this issue this is yeah. a safe space what we're going to do about it what we can do about it and then we can work together mm. to improve the situation okay now i have an answer to this there's been so many initiatives coming from the bottom to middle levels within the organizations right so yes. ground up or middle so oftentimes HR folks, ERGs, employee resource groups, when they're running their mental health programs for the company, mm-hmm. what they often find as a roadblock is that managers are saying that I can't send my employees for these things because they're busy. Mm. This mental health talk or program or workshop that's supposed to help them is a waste of time. They just don't have time to do this. Mm. So I would say the one thing that really needs to be done for companies is that leadership and managers need to get involved. They need to understand how important mental health is and how supporting mental health at work will actually ultimately help make employees a lot more productive, a lot happier, and also ultimately keep them staying within their Loyalty, roles. Right? Yeah. Employer retention. Yeah, It's just really important to understand how the well-being of your employees actually leads to your bottom line. I think that's something that is not clear at the moment. Mm. So managers and Managers, upwards, leaders, yeah, need leaders, to be involved. Yeah, they should go for these courses and say, hey, see, I went for this course. <laughs> There's no excuse. There's no reason why you shouldn't. Don't tell me you're too busy. Yeah. It's really the education around it. Mm. So the literacy thing that kicks in, right? Mm, so mm-mm. based off that, clearly managers are central to this whole thing Mm -hmm. because whether you like it or not they are the people between they are the ones right in the middle and they have impact for those below and they have impact those above what can they do managers are super important we do find that for every manager they are able to create their own little subculture for their teams Mm. the manager actually has so much influence and impact for the employees that report to them One of the things that we've seen brought up constantly is that the employees tend to leave the managers and not really the companies. So it is really important for managers to foster that environment that's psychologically safe for employees to bring up their mental health struggles. And one of the things that they can do for themselves very easily is actually to be a little bit more vulnerable in sharing their own struggles with Mm. their teams. So oftentimes managers place a lot of stress on themselves to pretend that they have it all together. But in fact, Mm. as a manager, you're trying to manage the leaders on top. Yeah, up and down. It's really tough. There's just so much pressure for you to take care of the team, to pretend that you know how to do everything. So I think what managers can do very easily is actually to just share that, okay, today's not a great day for me and I actually need help from you to understand mm. that 
I'm maybe not in the best of mental states at the moment. Right. And once a manager actually does that, it gives the rest of the employees a permission to do that as well. Mm. So that's exactly what we do for our team. So Count Collective, we're a tiny team, we have limited resources, but mm-hmm. what I found is that maybe I have a day where I'm having period cramps and I just tell my team that, okay, today it's going to be tough, I'm going to do my best, but I'll be at like maybe 30-40% capacity. Right. Right. And my team members have actually come forward and told me that, Sabrina, because you told me that, I feel a lot more comfortable sharing this with you and I don't feel the need to keep this to myself and to struggle through my day. Right. So in other words, being vulnerable is not a bad thing. No. In fact, it can be a strength and it is something that can help the team do well together definitely definitely and really be human about this whole approach and to stay away from the hustle culture because the hustle culture does not permit any of all this totally (laughs) the first thing Sabrina that managers need to do is to meet their teams far more often than they do Meet their teams and also be intentional about it. So I think oftentimes as managers, you just jump into like, okay, these are the things that you need to yeah, do. Yeah, What's yeah, the status yeah. update? <laughs> That's me. So one of the things that we do <laughs> is that whenever we have our stand-ups, we actually talk about how we're feeling. There's this very practical tool called the feelings wheel. Yeah. As Asians, we don't learn about feelings unless you're writing an English or literature essay or something. I actually get my team to identify exactly how they're feeling, wow. get more comfortable with the vocabulary. And once you're able to name the feeling, you can actually lean into it and learn more about why they're feeling that way. Mm -hmm. So that's one. And another thing that is super easy to practice is actually to ask the team, like, what are you grateful for today? Mm. And that's just such a simple question to help folks feel a lot more connected as well Mm. as it gives them the opportunity to share something that's outside of work as well. I remember in one of my workplace before the sales meeting, we actually went through a meditation practice. So that really helped because we're all about the numbers and all that. Like you said, all these small little things help. It can be done in like, what, three, five minutes? Yeah, there are lots of little things and little hacks that we can do. We've been running these roundtables for HR leaders as well as senior executives. And what we've done is that we wanted to be very intentional about making sure that it's a safe space for them to also recalibrate Mm. and to check in with themselves. And it's not just a space for them to like learn from each other and deep dive into Mm. all the learning and like head stuff. So just like having one or two minutes of meditation, breathing, checking in really makes a huge difference. So these are just little things that managers or even we can do ourselves. Those are great tips. And I think for a future workforce or even the current workforce with young people entering that, that would be great. I'm just trying to think of my very uncle GM in my Ooh, previous company. That's actually company. a really interesting one. I can't imagine him doing this. Okay. Oh, the good news is when our kids grow old and start working, their uncle yeah. GM already retired. Yes. Oh, no, no, he's no, already no, no. retired. But if I imagine going to him and then he's asking me, how was your feelings, Will? I think he was called me. No, no, no. He'd be like, what is this? Will? You mean Will has feelings? <laughs> I have feelings. <laughs> so it was really funny. Actually, a few months back, we had one of these really C-level people. And he was like, Sabrina, mental health is actually really important. And I kind of get it. But I'm usually quite tougher on my team. Ooh. So I can't be the one to talk about this. Can you do it for me? 
Yes, outsource. Why and not? I mean, just use a proxy. It's so quite interesting because like folks in that generation. Yes. You're right. The tough boss, if he comes yeah. and tells me about feelings. And you just I'll laugh. Have... You're going to laugh. Yeah, You're like, what like, is this person oh, talking about? Okay, what happened to this guy? Yeah. yeah, he was saying that I don't want my team to think I'm a softie mm. just because I'm getting old. Now imagine how interesting it would be in a military setting like for our SAF. Ooh. You have to be so tough on the outside. Let's sit yes. down and talk about your feelings. Actually, what's really interesting is that framing matters a lot. You need to understand your target audience, yes. right? You can't just come in there yeah. like, hey guys, let's talk about compassion. Yeah. What? <laughs> so a lot of companies actually have been framing it in terms of resilience and mental fitness. Yeah, We've also heard mental wealth for a finance industry company. Mm. So... It's really important that you understand who you're talking to, whoever you're working with, whether it's a program provider or a new EAP. Mm. You need to find the right culture fit as well. And you need to find the right language to actually get the message across in a way that does not get people either intimidated or like laughing. Thank you so much, Sabrina. Thank you very much. I have to admit that if I was struggling with mental health issues, I would not have the courage to be open to my boss. But now that I've spoken to Sabrina, perhaps I can start with how to start this conversation. Oh yeah, definitely. Same for me as well. And also importantly, we cannot be two separate people. Our personal struggles, especially mental health ones which are invisible, will at some point bleed into our work. Which is why I always remember an ex-boss telling me once that employees are people first. They are mothers, they are fathers, they are caregivers, they get sad and they struggle. The challenge is to support them so they don't just survive, but thrive. Because work is as important as all the other parts of their lives. Oh yes, and when an individual thrives, it's just like a rising tide, it lifts all boats. We hope you've learned something from this discussion today. Our many thanks to Sabrina, to our listeners and to the team behind this podcast. Jacqueline Chan, Joanne Chan, Daniel Lee, I'm Adrian Tan. And I'm Crispina signing off.